We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I call Sajid Javid. Yeah. Yeah. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the ban on LGBT people serving in our military until the year 2000 was an appalling failure of the British state, decades behind the law of this land. As today's report makes clear, in that period, many endured the most horrific sexual abuse and violence, homophobic bullying and harassment, all while bravely serving this country. Today, on behalf of the British state, I apologise. And I hope all those affected will be able to feel proud parts of the veteran community that has done so much to keep our country safe. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, can I associate myself with the remarks the Prime Minister just made? Mr Speaker, in the UK, every 90 minutes, someone sadly takes their own life. Indeed, uh, in this country, for men under the age of 50 and for women under the age of 35, this is now the biggest killer. When I was the Secretary of State for Health, I met many brave families and campaigners, and I committed to them that the government would publish a comprehensive cross-departmental suicide prevention strategy. That was over a year ago, and still no strategy. Now, I know that my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, cares as deeply about this issue as I do. We've discussed it many times. And can I ask him, uh, please, if he would commit his government uh, to publishing this strategy within days of Parliament's return from the summer recess? Mr Speaker, when someone takes their own life, the effect on their family and friends is devastating. And I know the loss of my right honourable friend's own brother was an enormous source of pain for him. Uh, I want to reassure him that we are actively addressing suicide rates through our national suicide prevention strategy, backed by funding, and also particularly rolling out 100 suicide prevention voluntary community and social enterprises. Uh, But I can tell him that we will publish the new updated national suicide prevention strategy later this year. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, Labour in Government was proud to repeal the ban against LGBT plus people serving in our armed forces. And today we strongly welcome this apology from the Prime Minister as a recognition of their historic mistreatment. Mr Speaker, my constituent Ken Wright was a proud RAF serviceman, forced to leave the job he loved simply because he was gay. I'm delighted he is here today to witness this apology. And whilst we cannot right the wrongs of the past, The Government should now act on the recommendations of the Etherton Review to fix the lives broken by the ban. It's what LGBT plus veterans deserve. Mr Speaker, I also know the whole House will want to send our very best wishes to the Lionesses as they start their World Cup campaign this Saturday. Let's hope they continue the brilliant success they had in the Euros. Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister took office nine months ago, the NHS waiting list had 7.2 million people on it. What's the number today? Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, the, the reason that the NHS waiting lists are higher today than they were then, after actually being stable uh, for the first few months as we put in place new initiatives, is very simple, and that's because the NHS has been disrupted by industrial action, Mr. Speaker. Now, the, 
We have put very clear plans in place to bring down waiting lists in urgent and emergency care, in primary care, in ambulances and outpatients and electives. Those plans were working and will continue to work, but we do need to end the industrial action. So I would ask the honourable gentleman, if he does care about bringing the waiting list down, does he agree with me that consultants and junior doctors should accept the pay deal that the government offered? Mr Speaker, Mr. This, the Prime Minister likes to get away of. The more that you stop me getting on with the questions, the more I'm going to keep him here. So it's up to you how long you want the Prime Minister. Dear Starmer. Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm sure the whole House is pleased that he's graced us with his presence today. But we don't get any more answers when he's here than when he's not. He knows the answer. Seven point million people currently on the waiting list. Prime Minister, that's the highest it's ever been. It means that since he stepped foot into Downing Street, 260,000 people have been waiting in daily agony for things like hip and knee replacements while he boasts. Has he figured out why, after nine months, dozens of gimmicks, umpteen broken promises, his government is failing more patients than ever before? Mr Speaker, Again, I don't think we heard an answer to the question. Right? So, so. And also, I don't want you holding up proceedings, Prime Minister. It's, it's very simple. If, if the honourable gentleman actually looked at what was happening earlier this year, what we have seen, what we have seen actually, is that our plans were beginning to work. Ambulance and waiting times down from an hour and a half over Christmas to around half an hour virtually eliminating the number of people waiting one and a half years for treatment, making huge progress on GP access. Now, all those things, all those plans we put in place, all the funding, all the extra ambulances, the extra discharge, all starting to make a difference, all held up by one very simple fact, industrial action in the NHS. Now, again, I'll give him a second chance. If he really wants to get people the health care that they want, will he agree with me? that those doctors should accept the recommendations of the independent pay review body. It will be a bad time to get thrown out. It's six weeks, I think, long and hard. Can I just say to the Prime Minister, it's the opposition questions, it's Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, I think with his time away, he's slightly forgotten how this works. And he talks about his plans. He talks about his plans, his NHS staffing plan. He doesn't need to lecture. Hold on, hold on. It might be the last one before recess, but I'd just say to somebody, if they really want to take and go early, it will be very tempting to ensure that we do it. But think long and hard before you do. Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. He talks about his plans. He doesn't need to lecture me on that. On the NHS staffing plan, he nicked it from Labour. It's the same old story. They mess up the NHS and look to Labour to fix it. Come the election, the country will be doing the same. The difference is that, unlike us, he hasn't said how he'd pay for his workforce plan. Now's his chance. Where's the money coming from? Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker, not only is, is the NHS long-term workforce plan fully funded, it was welcomed, it was welcomed, 
it was welcomed by not one, not two, but by 43 different NHS stakeholders, Mr Speaker. But no, he talks about our plans and are they making a difference. Well, let's just look. Let's just look in urgent and emergency care. Our plans mean that we'll put 800 more ambulances on the road, 5,000 more beds, faster discharge, more community care. That's why the Royal College of Emergency Medicine described it as significant and that it will undoubtedly improve conditions. But that's why, Mr Speaker, what have we seen? A&E waiting times in England, the best in two years, Mr Speaker. Well, while the while, while Mr Speaker, and they won't like this, while the NHS has the worst waiting times in the country in Wales, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, when he said the workforce plan was fully cost, I've never seen the Chancellor more bewildered. <laughs> It's less than a year since his party crashed the economy with their unfunded spending commitments, and he hasn't learned a thing. So let me ask it another way. Is his uncosted spending coming from more tax rises, more cuts, or is it just the latest promise to fall from the Tories' magic money tree? Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, as, as, as I and the Chancellor set out, the plan is fully funded. He'll see that at the autumn statement. But I, I am pleased. I am pleased he's now, he's now interested in fiscal responsibility, because that is very welcome, Mr Speaker. Because well, there's an opportunity for us to make sure that this is true conviction. We've just had, Mr Speaker, in the last week, we've had the recommendations of independent pay review bodies, including, including for the NHS. Now, I believe the right thing to do was to accept those independent recommendations. But that involves taking difficult and responsible decisions to deliver those pay rises without fuelling borrowing inflation, taxes and debt. But on this crucial issue, Mr Speaker, while his MPs are back on the picket lines, yet, yet again on this issue, he simply refuses to take a position. It's the same old story. He should stop taking inspiration from his friends outside and unglue himself from the fence. Who wants to lead the exit? Keir Starmer. In that burst of nonsense, what you didn't hear was a single word about how he's going to be paying for it. Labour's NHS workforce plan is fully funded by scrapping the non-DOM status that he so adores. You know the one, that non-DOM... I think one or two of you have asked to catch my eye. You're not going the right way. Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Labour's workforce plan is fully funded by scrapping the non-DOM status that he so adores. You know the one, the non-DOM tax thing, as he calls it, that allows some of the wealthiest people in the country to avoid paying tax here. Is that loophole so important to him that he'd rather have billions in unfunded promises than simply making billionaires pay what they owe? Mr Speaker, this is the, the, same, the same policy that has paid, I think, for five different things at this point. I think, Mr Speaker, everybody knows, everybody knows that I'm a fan of doing maths to 18, but the honourable gentleman makes a very strong case for doing maths all the way to 61, quite frankly. When it comes, Mr Speaker... But when it, when it comes to the substance of the plan, it's important we address this. Right? I, I am aware, actually, and I, and I will say this. He did, and he did set out some proposals to train more staff. 
The problem is, Mr Speaker, that's all he did. Our plan is much more comprehensive and it's much more impactful because not only will we train more staff, Mr Speaker, well, no, this is important substance because I acknowledge the party opposite did set out some plans to train more, but that's not enough. You also have to set out plans as we did to retain more NHS staff. And you also crucially, you also crucially have to set out plans to how you reform the NHS so that you can have a more productive NHS. And that is the difference between us, Mr Speaker. He is only ever focused on the superficial headline. We're getting on and doing the actual reform. Uh, Mr Speaker, if he's so good at maths, then I'm 60, not 61. I don't know whether the Prime Minister has found time to visit Hillingdon Hospital during the recent by-elections, where the wards have had to close, staff are working in appalling conditions and patient safety is at risk. And that's simply a snapshot of the wider problem. This week the National Audit Office set out in detail what everyone already knows. The Government's hospital programme has, shall we say, some gaps in it. So can the Prime Minister confirm that, apart from the fact that there aren't 40 of them, and the fact that most of them aren't new, and that many of them aren't even hospitals, everything's going fine with the 40 new hospitals? Mr Speaker, not only are we going to deliver on our manifesto commitment to build 40 new hospitals across the country by 2030. We're not, we're not just stopping there, Mr Speaker, because we're also delivering 100 hospital upgrades across the country and, crucially, 100, over 100 new community diagnostic centres to speed up treatment for people, including, Mr Speaker, in the Deputy Leader's constituency, the Shadow Work and Pension Secretary's constituency, the Energy Secretary, the, the Justice Secretary, the Attorney General's constituency. That's how committed we are, Mr Speaker. But look, let me end on this, because he mentioned Hillingdon Hospital, he mentioned Uxbridge. I tell you what, I want to help the people of this country, Mr Speaker. I want to make sure that not only can they get to work, but they get the care they need. Why on earth does he want to charge them £12.50 every time they visit their GP and hospital? Thank you, Mr Speaker. There was welcome news this morning of inflation falling by higher than expected. The businesses in my constituency are trying to plan their pricing for next January and are struggling because of the proposals to introduce the extended producer responsibility. And they don't yet have the information on how much it will cost or how it will work. Um, so would the Prime Minister look at pausing and resetting that programme? So what we don't see in January is price rises in our supermarkets without the consequent reduction reduction in packaging and increase in recycling that we all want to see. Well, Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for the question. This is something that has been uh, raised with me uh, by those in the industry. Now, we are committed to protecting the environment and delivering, delivering on our net zero targets, uh, but DEFRA are continuing to engage closely with manufacturers, retailers and packaging companies on the precise design of the scheme. And I know that ministers will continue to keep this House and my honourable friend updated. Leader of the SNP, Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, the two-child benefit cap, as introduced by the Conservative Party, has left 250,000 children living in poverty. So can I ask the Prime Minister, does he take comfort in knowing that the heinous legacy of that policy will no longer just be protected by Conservative members, but by Labour members too? 
Mr. Mr. Speaker, I welcome the uh, Labour leader's newfound support for our policy, even though he previously committed to a different approach. But what I would say to the honourable gentleman and indeed the Labour front bench is that they don't have to worry too much because, given the Labour leader's track record, he's never actually kept a promise that he's made. <laughs> Stephen Flynn. Mr. Speaker, voters in Scotland are used to child poverty under the Tories. They almost expect it. But what they don't expect, what they don't expect is child poverty support from the Labour Party. And if we look very closely right now, there is a shiver running along the Labour front bench looking for a spine. But Mr Speaker, does this not tell us something much big- bigger? That for children living in poverty in Scotland, Westminster offers them no real change. It offers them no real hope. Well, Mr Speaker, the best, the best route out of poverty is through work. Mr. Speaker, uh, and, the most, and the best way to ensure that children do not grow up in poverty is to ensure that they do not grow up in a workless household. Uh, that's why we are focused on creating more jobs, with 200,000 more in Scotland since 2010, and hundreds of thousands fewer children across the United Kingdom growing up, fewer growing up in a workless household. We will always continue to reduce child poverty. I don't want to see a single child grow up in poverty, and we will deliver that in every part of the UK, including in Scotland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that if members opposite are in favour of illegal economic migration, then they should have the courage to say so, rather than claiming that young men in their 20s and 30s arriving here from safe countries are actually asylum seekers. My, uh, my friend is right that the party opposite don't have a plan to tackle illegal migration, and we saw that just in this last week, uh, Mr. Speaker, that they voted, I think, over 70 different times against our Stop the Boats bill. And that bill will make it crystal clear that if you come here illegally, you will be detained and swiftly removed to a safe third country. That is the fair, compassionate and right way to deal with this problem, and that's what we believe in. Caroline Lucas. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. It's exactly a year to the day since UK temperatures hit a deadly 40 degrees for the first time, with 3,000 excess deaths last summer. Yet the Prime Minister's own climate advisers and businesses have said that his climate progress is worryingly slow. Now, he likes to claim that the UK is decarbonising more quickly than the rest of the G7, but, but since the Paris Agreement, that is simply not true. He likes to claim that it's not a top concern for the public, while well, recent polling shows that that's not true either. Experts, businesses and the public all want bolder climate action, but it isn't even one of his top five priorities. Can he tell us why not? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the, the Honourable Lady just makes a completely uh, bizarre point. Because, because we moved quicker and faster than everyone else, she thinks that that somehow is something that we should now not be proud of. It's right that other countries are catching up. It's inevitable that they will have to decarbonise faster now to make up for the fact that over the past two decades they haven't followed our example. So I'm not, I'm not going to take any lectures for her on this topic because our track record is a good one, Mr. Speaker. We have decarbonised 
faster than everyone else. And right now, we are making the right long-term decisions to make sure that we do transition to net zero, but do so in a way that brings people along with us and creates jobs in the process. Bedfordshire businesses now have apprentices on the factory floor, earning £48,000 a year on qualification, easily beating cost of living pressures. So what more can we do to get schools to promote apprenticeships to pupils and parents as our colleges and institutes of technology are great poverty-busting institutions? My uh, honourable friend makes an excellent point. One of the practical steps that we are taking is to put all apprenticeships onto the UCAS system uh, this autumn, which will make sure that they have parity of esteem in the classroom, increase information for parents and teachers. Uh, But at the same time, Mr Speaker, as I announced earlier this week, we are clamping down on university courses that fail to deliver good outcomes. Because what we should be doing is providing young people with the best opportunities for them to get on in life. And he's absolutely right that that should include apprentices. Dame Diana Johnson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Why does the Prime Minister think that Sir Brian Langstaff, who chairs the public inquiry into infected blood, has reopened the hearings and has summoned before him the Prime Minister, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the Leader of the House and the Paymaster General to answer questions next week. Mr Speaker, my thoughts remain with all those affected by this appalling tragedy. The infected blood scandal should never have happened and that's why the public inquiry was set up by one of my predecessors. I've submitted written evidence to the inquiry and am due to give oral evidence shortly, so it would be inappropriate for me to comment further at this time. Greg Clark. Indeed, Mr Speaker. 800,000 people work uh, indirectly or directly in our car industry, which accounts for 10% of our country's exports. So I strongly welcome the £4 billion investments by Tata in a battery factory. Uh, with the jobs associated with it. So will my right honourable friend uh, build on that success and pursue a clear plan to get more gigafactories, including in the West Midlands, so we can capitalise on our lead in battery innovation and technology? My right honourable friend is absolutely right to highlight the importance of today's announcement. One of the largest ever investments in the UK auto auto industry in this country's history. Billions of pounds, thousands of jobs, and it is a massive vote of confidence in the UK economy. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The NHS in England has just had its longest ever junior doctor strike, and consultants go on strike tomorrow for the first time in 50 years. Yet so far, Scotland has had no NHS strikes. This isn't by chance, but because our Health Secretary and First Minister have kept working with the BMA to try and address the pay erosion faced by doctors since 2008. Workforce shortages are the biggest challenge facing healthcare, and the Prime Minister just mentioned the importance of staff retention. So does he really think refusing to even talk to health unions will stop doctors leaving the NHS? Uh, Mr Speaker, we we did talk to health unions, but we also also respected the independent pay review body process, Mr Speaker, which is the right way to resolve these issues, and it means a typical junior doctor will see a 9% pay rise as a result of that deal, uh, Mr Speaker. Combined with, as you mentioned, retention, earlier this year, 
the government delivered the number one ask of the BMA, which was to remove the cap on pensions tax that was specifically designed to retain senior doctors in the NHS. So the government has now done its bit, and I would urge the unions to please get back to the hospitals and treat your patients. Sir Jacob Rees-Mogg. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend share my unease that a bank that has the government as its largest shareholder should close the account of a senior opposition politician? Will he use the government's shareholding to ensure that there is an inquiry into these circumstances because the subject data access request makes it clear, or certainly indicates, that it is the person concerned's political views that led to his cancellation. And does my right hon friend agree with me that however much we may find however much we may find them tiresome, members of the opposition deserve bank accounts? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, it, it wouldn't be right if financial services were being denied to anyone exercising their right to lawful free speech. Uh, our new Financial Services and Markets Act put, puts in place new measures to ensure that politically exposed persons are being treated in an appropriate and proportionate manner. And having consulted on the payment services regulations, we are, we are in the process of cracking down on this practice by tightening the rules around account closures. But in the meantime, any individual can complain to the Financial Ombudsman Service, which has the power to direct a bank to reopen their account. That's sure. Thank you very much. I know how it feels to be homeless, squatting from one place to another with your entire belongings in one single bin liner. Hard-working families, including Bradford West, are at risk of homelessness because of a Tory mortgage bombshell and failing to legislate to protect renters. Yep. So can I ask the Prime Minister, apart from totally losing a grip on the whole situation, what is he doing to stop half a million people from becoming homeless? Yeah. 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 Oh, Mr Speaker, actually rough sleeping levels are about a third lower in 2022 compared to the peak in 2017. And since our landmark Homelessness Reduction Act came into force, over 600,000 households have successfully had their homelessness prevented or relieved, and we are investing £2 billion over the next three years to continue to tackle homelessness and rough sleeping. Mark Francois. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister mentioned our armed forces. Can I mention them again? We lost 457 personnel in Afghanistan killed and several thousand who suffered life-changing injuries. So I and some of my colleagues on the Defence Committee were absolutely stunned to see a video posted by our own chairman lauding the Taliban's governance of Afghanistan, not mentioning they're still trying to identify and kill Afghan civilians who sided with NATO forces, and also not mentioning the fact they don't like girls to go to school. So can I make plain this was not in our name? And can I have the Prime Minister's assurance that this silly and naive act was not in his name either? Yeah. 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 Well, Ms. Mr Speaker, I join with my honourable friend in paying tribute to our brave serving personnel and veterans and thank them for their service, as indeed we've touched on earlier today. Uh, and we have repeatedly and will continue 
to repeatedly call out the human rights abuses that we see around the world, and he mentions rightly the, um, uh, the prohibition on, on women edu being educated in Afghanistan, which is something we've spoken about in the past. But we will also continue to have dialogue with regimes. That doesn't mean that we consider those regimes to be legitimate or approve of their actions, but that is all part, as he will understand, of establishing normal diplomatic presence in countries when the situation allows. But I'll very happily look into the specific uh, case that he brought up with me. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, it's not just the adoption of the disgusting and heinous two-child benefit cap, it's, it's the endorsement of a hard Brexit, the tuition fees, the immigration. Doesn't he agree that there's no real difference now between the two UK main parties? And isn't it time that we perhaps rearrange the furniture in this House and have them all on one big bench and perhaps <laughs> retitle them that this is what you get from the UK party? Thank you, Mr Speaker, for the question. Uh, I, and I will, leave, I will leave him and the Labour Party to debate the final policies between them. But I would say on the substance, because it is, it is important that actually the track record demonstrates that we are making a difference in reducing child poverty, Mr Speaker. There are, there are now 400,000 fewer children in poverty than there were in 2010 as a result of the actions of this government noticeably moving their parents into work because it has the single best benefit for those children. That is the right policy and it is one that we will continue to deliver. Therapy is quackery packaged up by bigots seeking to promote their hate and profit from it. On the 19th of January, the Minister at the Dispatch Box promised to bring forward a ban against conversion therapy and ensure that pre-legislative scrutiny was completed before the end of this parliamentary term. How does my right honourable friend plan to continue with that? But can I also welcome very much a statement from the floor today and thank those LGBT veterans who are here with us. We are so grateful for your service and we do this ban also in your name. Uh, well, can I, uh, can I thank my honourable friend uh, for her question? And I agree with her that conversion therapy is an abhorrent practice, and we need to do everything we can to stamp it out wherever we see it. The Minister for Women and Equalities will continue to keep her and the House updated on our progress. Barry Sherman. Mr. Speaker, thank you. Uh, does the Prime Minister remember seven years ago? when he was a passionate supporter of leaving the European Union, along with his then, <laughs> along with his then best friend, Boris Johnson, is he aware that Sir John Major now says, in every speech he makes, that that decision was catastrophic for the people of this country and the standards of living, and also deeply damaging to our role, status and influence in the world. Mr. Well, Mr. 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 Speaker, I would say gently to the honourable member that at the beginning of his question, you think he made the central point. It was seven years ago, Mr. Speaker, and we need to move forward. I would just gently point out to him, he talked about what's happened since then, that since we left the single market, this economy has grown faster than Germany, France and Italy. And he talks about our standing on the world stage. Well, he obviously he wasn't here for our statement on the NATO summit last week, but nobody can be in any doubt that the United Kingdom is highly respected on the world stage.
Thank you, Mr Speaker. Now then, just last week, the Leader of the Opposition announced his new flagship policy, the two-child benefit cap. goes down very popular on this side of the House, but not so popular on that side of the House. But, Prime Minister, could you please tell the House when will the Leader of the Opposition jump off the bandwagon and be honest with the British public and tell them what he stands for? Well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend, friend is right. Now, it would be one thing, and I say I, I, welcome, I welcome the Leader of the Opposition now supporting the Government's policy, but I don't think anyone actually believes that he believes in what he's saying. And I think that is the question. Just say, you don't need to worry, you've no responsibility for the Opposition. Neil Coyle. Mr Speaker, every single member of this House is required by law to confirm the true source of a donation before it is accepted or declared. So can the Prime Minister tell us if he followed all the rules all the time before he took £38,500 of free air travel on the 28th of April? And if so, why does his story keep changing about who paid? Mr Speaker, all donations are declared in the normal way, and as, and as the Honourable Gentleman knows, if there are administrative changes to that, those are quickly corrected. David Davis. The Prime Minister, back to the question raised quite rightly by my rightful friend, the member for uh, North East Somerset. The opposition politician he was referring to, of course, was Nigel Farage, whose bank account was closed, not because he was a PEP, not because of commercial reasons, but because his views did not align with the values of Coote's Bank, a thinly veiled political discrimination, a vindictive, irresponsible and undemocratic action. But in addition, NatWest also disclosed confidential details about Farage's account to BBC and lied about the commercial viability of his account, actions which ought to jeopardise his banking licence and should certainly worry NatWest's 19 million other customers. So he's told us what he's going to do for the future, but there are many other people in this circumstance. So can he require every bank with a British banking licence to inform the Treasury of all the accounts they've shut down for non-commercial reasons the last decade? Well, Mr Speaker, I, I know that the uh, Ronald Gentleman has spoken to the Chancellor about this particular issue, and I know he will continue to have those conversations. In the short term, having consulted on the payment service regulations, we do intend to crack down on this practice by toughening the rules around account closures. Uh, but in the meantime, the Financial Ombudsman Service is available for people to make complaints to, but I look forward to continuing the dialogue with him, as indeed does the Chancellor. Final question, Colonel Lockhart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As a father, the Prime Minister will know how precious children are. Adam Watson, age nine, and Poppy Ogle, age ten, from my constituency, sadly lost their battle with childhood cancer just last year. Their homes are forever broken. Both families want to see a change in financial support for the 1,600 children diagnosed with cancer across the UK each year. Would the Prime Minister commit to meet with those, these families, to listen to their stories and to review child DLA payments to commence immediately on diagnosis of childhood cancer, whether that be a terminal diagnosis or not? The three-month wait for support is just too long. Surely this government can see fit to wrap its arms around these children and their families in their hour of need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, Mr Speaker, I thank the Honourable Lady for raising this issue. I can't imagine how difficult it is for families whose children are being treated for cancer and everything that will come along with that. I will happily look into the specific issue that she mentioned and get back to her in all haste, and she should know that she has my total support for helping and supporting families who are going through what will be an unbelievably difficult time. That completes Prime Minister's questions.